0: Waiting in line for the drinking fountain on the first day of Grade 1 is where Joe S Yo! and Joe B That's me! first met. Little did they know back then that almost 50 years later these two average Joes would still be great
1: friends and as thirsty as ever to hear your stories. What we've learned is that everyone has a special story to tell and if we just take the time to stop, ask and listen It's amazing just what we can learn from each other. Welcome to the Two Average Joes podcast, where we speak
0: to average everyday people sharing their not so average stories.
1: Today we welcome to our podcast, Clinton, a man of diverse background and rich experiences who carries a story that is both inspiring and heart-rending. Originally hailing from Cape Town, South Africa, his family's journey of resilience and compassion amidst the challenges of the apartheid era is truly inspiring. A passionate advocate for social and humanitarian causes, Clinton has dedicated his life to supporting those in need. And we can't wait to let you hear his story. So welcome to the Two Average Joes, Clinton. Clinton, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for bringing me on here, guys. <laughs> now, Joe
0: S, that was a really good introduction.
1: That's, that's the a... first time I've done that introduction. It was pretty it's long. All... I can't believe you wrote it. You it... could have just shortened it a little bit, but um... <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> but... why I suggested. I said, do you want to do the
0: introduction? He said, yeah, I'll do it. And then I emailed it to him and he probably thought, oh, wow, look, <laughs> look, look at all this. Look how much I have to read. No, but it was a great intro.
2: And well, uh, well,
0: well written. Oh, thank you, thank yeah. you. We just want to remind all our listeners to hit the subscribe button yes. wherever they're listening, whether it's on Apple or Google or yeah. wherever they listen to their podcasts for. So they have to like, subscribe, and leave us the comments because that's uh, very important. We need to let people know. And if you don't like it, make sure you say you do like it. But uh, uh, you know, we, no, we want <laughs> you your can't honest like feedback. Him, no. no, no, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So Clinton. Welcome uh, to the Two Average Joes. It's great to have you here. It's Thanks. been a few months that we've, we've been trying to get together to get you on, on the show, but finally we're here and finally we get to hear your story. Lovely. So, Clinton, why don't we uh, come straight over to you and ask the question. Uh, tell us a little bit about your not-so-average
2: story. Yeah, uh, well, thank you, first of all, so one and so two <laughs> yep. for this opportunity. I really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, well, so where do we start? I... Uh You've got such a diverse story. There's so many yes. things that... Uh, well,
0: just you know, start from the beginning. Tell us yeah. about yourself and uh, you know where you were born and yes. um, a bit about your your, your background, your yes. family.
2: Yeah, certainly. I, I've been uh, born and raised, of course, in uh, Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, born in a beautiful hospital called Grootaskir Hospital. Now The reason why I want to bring that up is because uh, if you go to Cape Town, Grootaskir is one of the... Those, you know, names that everyone knows about. And the only reason is because the first heart transplant happened at that hospital.
1: In South Africa?
2: In Grootiske. I thought it was Sydney, Australia. That's what I thought too. Oh, okay. What's that's, going on? Oh, yeah. That's part of the reason yeah. why we want to make that clear. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, Are you sure that's not the fake news or is that the real <laughs> news? We've got to that clarify. Is the, that is the real news. So Grootiske <laughs> Hospital, um, yeah, uh, Dr. Christian Barnard. Um he was the first one that um they performed the first human uh, wow. heart transplant. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that that hospital um of course has that significance. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I was born uh there in Cape Town and uh, born and raised there. Uh my family uh, stayed in Cape Town at that time for about four years and then uh after that we moved to uh a beautiful town called Beaufort West, which is in uh the Karua region. Yes. um karua basically just means uh desert really because it's uh kind of like the outback yeah in in Australia. Oh, right. okay. yeah so yeah so we we uh we moved there and uh by the age of ten years old I uh, moved back to my mom's uh, parents uh in the borland area which is uh one of the most beautiful parts of the world as well yeah so that's that's my uh my upbringing and um yeah. and your history in South Africa
0: isn't uh like joe s and and i our our family has uh, um, immigrated to Australia, you know, around 70 years ago, around that time, even less. Yeah. But in your case, your history uh, dates back uh, hundreds of years. Yes. For,
2: for your mum and dad being in South yeah. Africa. Yeah. So, look, my, my people are quite diverse in, in, in South Africa. So from my mum's side to begin, my mum is uh, um, from um, the Indonesian uh, slavery background. So why the reason why I'm saying that is because um, during um, in the ni- in the 1770s, um, mm-hmm. you know, the um, my mom came over, my mom's people came over uh, um, through the slave trade. My mom is uh, originated from the um, Indonesian people, yes. or um, better known back in the days as the uh, the Javanese people. Um, so not don't get it wrong with Japanese. Yeah, yeah, um, so Japanese people, yes, yes. and um, yeah, and so, um, so that's where my mom came from, and then uh, my dad um, is a Zulu, was a Zulu man, yes. um, come from the Zulu people in the in, in the Zulu region of South Africa or the Zulu Kingdom in South Africa. Yes, yes, and
0: uh, you grew up uh, with. One of the things you mentioned uh, that I wanted to talk about now actually, if I could, was your uh, uh deep spiritual connections to your ancestors yes. now does that come from the zulu side?
2: Yes, the- I think so I yes. think, I think yeah, my, um definitely from the Zulu side like my 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 father um he he passed away when I was quite quite young I was about six years old when 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 he passed away yes um, um but all I know is that um the Zulu people were quite um, uh, spiritual, a uh, spiritual people, and uh, quite connected to their ancestors. And so, for me, I, I definitely have the strong urge to also know about more so not the spiritual side of things, but more so like have a very big urge to know what happened in my my past, and, and you know who. Who were my people? How did they you know, the history of my people basically. So I always have that strong urge and I always wondered where that's coming from. So it definitely it's definitely coming from um from from my dad's side. yes. sure.
0: Yeah, and, yes. and do you have uh, a large family um, in South Africa
2: still, and and a lot of uh, older people that are able to to teach you, like elders. And- yes, I do. Uh, my dad's uh, my dad's brothers. They were always adamant to make sure that um, that my generation um, understand the Zulu culture. Yes, um, but there's a very important um, point that I really want to raise is. Um, even though there was an urge from my side, um, it doesn't really mean that we really had access to that information because the reason was, um, there was a bit of a spanner in the works there and which yes. was apartheid. Ah. ah, okay. Yep. So apartheid, um, was, uh, was designed to, um, <clears throat> to keep people apart and to really, how it impacted different um, cultures and races in South Africa was um, to uh, make sure that people don't really understand the history. Yes. Or know the history. So they control the news to control the people. Control the news to control the people.
1: That's well said, Joe. But did did you know about Nelson Mandela?
2: Did you know about him growing up? Or? No. so no. Which is quite surprising when I tell people that because I think Nelson Mandela, because of the type of character he is and the popular name he has, yes, um, people think that he's always been around and always, his name has always been popular. His name only really became popular around 1990. Yes. And why that year was significant is because that was the year... When he was released out of prison, yes. Now, before 1990, um, mm-hmm. the um, apartheid. Uh, let me just backtrack a bit. Apartheid yes. ended 1994. In 1990s, 1990, 1990 when Nelson Mandela came out of prison, when Nelson Mandela came out of prison, um, all of a sudden, the people of the land in South Africa were made known about this name, Nelson Mandela the reason why we didn't know about that is because apartheid was a heavily propaganda based mm-hmm. system mm-hmm. that controlled the news, controlled the media, controlled mm-hmm. what the people should know and not know. Mm-hmm. um and one of the things that they that they did very very well i must say um was to keep those type of names like Nelson Mandela, Walter Sisulu, those type of names um out of the ears of the you know the the the, the, public. Be, the public oh wow yeah and and uh, um you may ask how did that happen like how was it possible and uh um op- obviously apartheid um had quite um significant media uh infrastructure to make that happen so a lot of the news uh channels on on tv a lot of the publications Uh, Whether that be paper or whatever, whatever, it wasn't social media back in the days. But a lot of that um, were owned by the apartheid government, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it was nationally owned, Um, and so because of that, they could control what would get out and what 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 um, should remain a secret, and um, and so when Nelson Mandela went to Nelson Mandela was in prison for 27 years, and all that 27 years people didn't even know where he was or who he was. Yes, but the world did. We did. Yeah, like, we, 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 did. We, 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 we we always quite often yes. you know, on the news. yeah. Very true because um, obviously a lot of the countries in the world um, were not under that jurisdiction to be controlled um, yes. by, you know, uh, biased, I would say, uh, media. Yes. So, um, and in those, uh, there was a lot of, sanctions and international push but even international news international articles and international publications were regulated and were um, kept away from the people as well so so we could not hear what was going on from the outside Um, a lot of um, artists and people that were kind of uh, moved on from south africa uh, that tried to um, put that speak information out. in the music and speak out, yeah. they, were, they were pushed out of South Africa to go to other yes. countries, and then that's where they then um, would explain to the people like, look, there's a guy over there that's in prison for, for, for really, for, for not doing anything but free his own people so a lot of the songs, there, you know, people like um, Maria Makeba, she's no longer with us, Yvonne Chaka Chaka um a lot of the you mustla master, master a lot of these artists out there they all that they did really was uh, i mean there's this lucky dube as well, which is quite a popular name in Africa. He passed away too um so those people in the music made made it known that there 's a guy over there Nelson Mandela um that um you know they really want to free his people. Those music, um, all those 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 uh, uh, um, artists and the music they tried to get back into South Africa were all regulated. Ah, oh, right. So the people, even not, the music, the news, and, and the music, even the music. Yeah. When 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 when, when Marie Makeba and Lucky Dubbe and those guys, when they were, um, they they fled South Africa, because um, they had a they had a target on their back. Mm. The apartheid government was after them, yeah. and so they they left and uh, you know to other parts in Africa or America or the UK, and um, so yes, so obviously they published their music. They made it a mission to make sure that people know um, what's really going on in South Africa. And yes, uh, these people were then marked by the apartheid government um, to make sure that their music uh, again because the apartheid government owned a lot of the, um, the media outlets, and you know, radios, and you name it. Um, there wasn't podcasts back then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, and there wasn't really the internet or no, Facebook or yeah. anything like that. No social media, anything. And so it, was quite, it wasn't so hard to kind of, you know, keep that type of information away from the people. Mm. Um, yes, and so that's why um, Nelson Mandela's name never really came, mm. came out until 1990. So you were was your
1: family segregated? Is that how it all worked j- with apartheid?
0: Yeah, just give us a bit of a background for people that don't understand about apartheid. Yeah, th- they would have heard about apartheid, mm. but uh, just uh, to give us an idea of when it started and what it actually meant at the grassroots
2: level, what was what was they trying to achieve by yeah. apartheid? Yeah. So I won't go into the obviously the political and the um no. the historical details on it. But what I can say is that nineteen ninety nineteen forty eight was when apartheid, um, the system apartheid um, um, was, uh, came, to, came to the brink. And it was only 1950, really, when um, a lot of the laws that people are kind of know about, so a lot of people know about the petty laws, you know, the, uh, the, the segregation type of stuff, you know, the back of the bus type of stuff. So people know about that, and that only really started around 1950, but 1948 was when apartheid um, came came to fruition. So some of the laws that I, I'm I'm still really young, and what I know about apartheid is really what I've read in books sure. and what I've learned and what I've been taught. Yeah. Um, so, but 1950 was when when laws such as uh, um, the Group Areas Act, which was quite a significant law in apartheid. Um, was 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 made into a law. Now the thing about apartheid is basically what it what it incorporated, and the word apartheid basically means to keep people apart, to, to keep groups apart, and uh, um, and so one of the major laws in 1950 that came out was called the Group Areas Act, mm-hmm. and that was an act to make sure that um, people were kept apart. Um, that were a similar race, similar color, similar language, similar creed. And uh, um, what made it quite significant is, um, and uh, we were talking earlier a little bit about the, yeah. the pencil theory. or the Yes. Um, and I would really like to highlight it a bit, um, which is quite a petty thing that happened, but the significance of it is quite huge. And the question that I think you were asking, Joe, yes. was why was that pencil... Test, yes. as they called it, so significant. And if you go onto any of the uh, surge, um, uh, surge engines right yeah. now and look up pencil, pencil test, test, you'll yeah. be surprised to know that it's actually a legitimate thing that happened. So, yes.
1: what actually was a pencil test? Just
2: to tell our listeners what the. What. So, the pencil test was um, a a test that the apartheid government used to, 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 to differentiate between a white person or a person that will be classified as a white person and a person that will be classified as a black person. Do they use the terminology black or colored? How do they,
1: in, in, back in, in South Africa?
2: Yes, so the color, and I'll tell a little bit later about colored people, which is my people. And again, the word colored, obviously, for listeners, might. Be coming across as derogatory, um, but before I get to that, um, the the answer question about black and white. So apartheid um, was about classifying people, and obviously it wasn't easy to classify groups because people come from different backgrounds. But how they did it was we're going to classify as white and classify as black. So how do we do that? How do we how, because anyone that looks white could say sure. I'm white. Yeah. Anyone that looks black can say I'm black. Yeah. But how did we how do we do that? And so that's where the pencil test came in. So the pencil test was where apartheid the apartheid government allocated uh, government officials, apartheid government officials, to go around and use a pencil to put into someone's hair. If the pencil stayed into someone's hair, that will then classify that person as a black person. And if the pencil fall out of someone's hair, then that will classify someone as a white person. Why? Because obviously um, it was known back then, or it was uh, presumed that if you are black, your hair would be more. Um, how can I say more coarse, uh, dense, more dense, or something? Yes, more. Yes. Yeah. And if you are um, white, let's just assume that the hair will be straight, and the ah. hair will be, uh, you know, and the pencil will fall out. So that obviously was complicated to. Difference between white and black, and so they use this pencil test to make that happen. Now, Clinton, can I just ask you though? What if someone
0: had no hair? Very, very good question. Very, very. How good do we question. classify in that case? Like Joe S. Yeah. Very, <laughs> very, <laughs> very, very good question. <laughs> like
2: that highlights how, um, first of all, stupendous <laughs> that <whole laughs> test was, but also how difficult it was then for for them to differentiate between um, wow. you know who's black and white and um, I think I don't really know the details of that, but it would have probably been if, you know, if your people are, if the pencil falls out from your dad's here. let's assume you're also black or white. It's, it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable,
0: even though, I mean, we are just be joking about it, but lightheartedly, but uh, this was actually very serious at the time. And this yeah. is what people did. It would have caused a lot of terror in people knowing that these government officials were gonna be coming round and, yes. and and in and and in your family's case um, Clinton because of the because your mum was not um African mm. did this cause a
2: problem in your family? Very, very good question and um indeed, yes. Um so I have no knowledge of whether the pencil test happened in my family sure. physically. But say hypothetically, it did happen. Yeah. My 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 dad was a Zulu person, and if you looked at him, his features were. Sure. You would go, yep, that's a Zulu person. You don't even have to do the pencil test. Yep, he's Zulu. Yeah. Or let's just say that he definitely identified as a, um, a indigenous black person. Yes. If you looked at him, his features. My mum come from the Malaysian people or the Indonesian people. Yes, I'd look at her. Not exactly sure. But black because the color or complexion is more yes. darker than white. So let's just assume. But however, she might pass the pencil test. Yes. So because her hair is, uh, was straight, and yes. so if you put a pencil mm. in there, okay. it fall out. Yeah. So that is how the pencil tests divided families and broke families. Um, and uh, the group areas acts, um, because it was an act, uh, we must remember that... Um, Apartheid was a law. It wasn't just a theory or an ideology. Yes. yes. It was a law, and so all the other acts and laws that came around apartheid were, were if you were breaking if you were breaking any of the stuff that came out, you were breaking the law. So with your mum and dad, yeah. that weren't really
1: supposed to be together as such because they were classified as. Coloured and
2: non-coloured because of the pencil test Indeed As you can no. say No yeah. They, they um, The lucky thing about my mom and my dad Is they were When they got married They got married in the, in the 80s Yes um, And uh, In the 80s The pencil test Was long and far gone In terms of oh. It's ridiculousness yes. And uh, um, The people of the land Even though Obviously the pencil test Would not It wouldn't sell Back then in the 80s People would go that's ridiculous yeah. Like what? Mm-hmm. What? What are you doing? But um, and so and also there was a very important law that was also kind of um, disintegrated by then, uh, which is uh, the Group Areas Act. Um, not my mom, my my sorry, not my dad's parents. My my grandma, she had to lie about who she was. She could not. She um, had to say that she was a closer woman because. My mum's, my grandmom's, um husband was a Khoisan man, so he was mixed Khoisan man and Xhikwa man. was an indigenous uh, nation. So, if my grandma, if she were to say to the apartheid government that she was a, a Zulu woman, then she would have, she would have to leave my grandma, my grandpa, yeah. and go to a an area that was known as the homelands. Yes. Um, the homelands were situated in um, in um, Eastern Cape, um, in Umtata. and actually Nelson Mandela is from that that area there, Um, and uh, she had to go back there, and be separated from her husband, if she were to say, and so for a long time she had to lie about being a Zulu person. So, (laughs) so during the apartheid, you
1: must have seen a lot of violence. Yeah, is that right? A lot of
2: violence growing up. Yes. So, um, so yes, I, I, I indeed did. Um, and I, I've kind of said earlier that um, the most violent time of apartheid wasn't... Obviously, I was too young. So I was apartheid when I was, when I was 10, um, 14 years old. So Nelson Mandela came out when I was 10 years old, 1990. And apartheid officially ended 1994 when the first democratic election happened. Between 1990 and 1994, that's when the most amount of of violence happened. And I was 10 years old, so um, there was a lot of times around that four years where we were not allowed to go to school because Mm. of the violence in the streets. So, if you are okay with me explaining some of the violent stuff that happened. Of happens. course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And one thing that I really want to highlight was uh, uh, um, something called necklacing. Necklacing was um, a, an, a, probably more, most of the most vile and violent acts. We've got the police we got the police coming. I hear Perfect
0: sirens. Timing. You know, the last time, uh, the last time podcast we did, yes. we got interrupted by sirens as well. It must be a sign. It, it is must a, a sign. sign. They're not it after you, s- are they? Well, they're probably looking for me. How about that warrant? Okay. So that's you don't even warrant. have to
2: do uh, background music or anything. No, that's right.
0: Sorry. we we'll wait for these sirens. Are they all gone? Go, 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 go away. Okay. Well, Back to you, Clint. Those are
2: the type of sirens that I heard Every day, you well, know, between yeah, you 1994, 1999, 1994. Um, coming back to necklacing, so necklacing was something that was that's, that's probably most one of the most violent things that I've witnessed as, as a young person growing up. And, um, what necklacing is, really practically, is um, when uh, someone put a tire, uh, a car tire, yes, without the rim, of course, um, over someone's neck. Um, Put pet throw petrol over that person and put him to fire.
1: That's terrible.
2: Mm. So you can imagine wow. the horror of of that, and uh, you know. So those are the type of pictures that were quite um, common between 1990 and 1994. This is stuff that, that people would see, that you would yes. see in the in the streets yes. happening. Yes, yes. Growing up in South Africa between 1990 and, and 1994. Yes. And this
0: was all at the time when there was a struggle for power because of the elections in ninety four. Yes. Uh, uh, so everyone was trying to make their point, I suppose,
2: before those elections. Yes, quite interesting that um, the turmoil and the conflict wasn't just weren't just about the elections. Um, there was a there was there was a very interesting phenomena that happened. That was actually between, and the violence were not between white and black people. Violence were between black and black people. So, right. betw- uh, the, the the reason why that happened was when, because when Nelson Mandela came out, um, 1990, a lot uh, there was a certain group of people I don't want to name the no no the, that's the, fine. the, the group and the political affiliation, but there was a certain group of people that were opposed to Nelson Mandela's uh, ideologies. Which was to bring peace in South Africa, to yes. bring reconciliation in South Africa, to shake it off and say, hey, let's move on. You know, yes. I've been in prison for 27 years, that's enough. Let's put all the weapons aside, let's move on. So that group of people said, um, no, look, we, our people suffered. There were all these horror things that happened, our party government took that away from us. Uh, look where we're living, look at our conditions, A, B, and C. And then the other group um, were pro Nelson Mandela. Um, and then obviously throw that uh, together and then throw the apartheid government together and throw the police together and the military together and they have a mm. a nuclear bomb, basically, that can happen. <laughs> wow. Terrible.
0: I wanted to just touch on um, uh, you know, talking about your upbringing. And from my understanding your 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 father had a great influence on uh, your life and now you as an adult and yes. what you do uh, in in the work that you do and yes. what you've done before you, you came to, to Brisbane mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about your dad if you don't mind because I know that it's it's not a, it's not a nice it's not a nice story about uh, what, what what happened there mm. but if you'd like to share a little bit about your dad and, yep. and so we uh, everyone can understand a, a, a little bit more about what
2: makes you tick so uh my father he um in short he was working at um well when I was born he w- he was a prison guard at um wow. um at, um, at prison yes, which if you ask anyone in south africa uh it's a maximum prison and Mount Nelson Mandela actually did a stint at Hail Polesman prison. You kidding me? <laughs> yes. with your, uh, well, I wonder if he no, knew him. Well, yeah. I always have that question yeah. with, uh, because when uh, he was around the same time when Nelson Mandela was in that prison, okay, yes. around the same time, yes. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Um, but um, um, so yeah, so he was a prison guard, and when I was about four years old, my my, my father had a very strong uh, conviction to become a church pastor, a clergyman. Um, the thing about the thing about that it, it's um, <clears throat> to be a pastor in South Africa during apartheid years. Mm-hmm. Uh, never mind the faith aspect or the message that you are coming across. You are preaching freedom. Um, you're trying to liberate people from captive way of thinking. That is not what apartheid liked. Of course, apartheid government didn't like the past. They didn't like. like, the pastors, they, did yeah, like. Yeah. Uh, they don't like uh, our people to be free and to be thinking free and to be liberated. Yes. The idea with apartheid was to keep people bonded and to keep people, so that they can control and cheap labor and all that type of uh, stuff. So, um, so, and the, the thing, my, my, my father was quite, uh, he was not just the average uh, type of clergyman. He was a, a guy that was a, had a very strong social conviction, so he wanted to go out there and, and really support people that, that struggle, um, uh, people living in poverty. And the group of people in South Africa back then that were directly affected by poverty, more so, was um, uh, people working on farms. Back in the back in the days, people working on farms, um, there was a there was a system called um, the uh, dopstelsel. stelsel. dop dop basically in Afrikaans means drink uh, alcohol. Have okay. to drink alcohol. The mm-hmm. so dopst it stelsel means system. Um, the dopstelsel was that um, the people that were working and 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 uh, living on the farms, mm-hmm. they worked in very appalling conditions, but they were paid not with money but they were paid with alcohol. Uh-huh. That was the currency it was basically alcohol. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that was called the dobstelsel. The dopstelsel, it's been around for a very long time. There is reports that. You still hear about the Dobstel now even today. I don't know what the legitimacy of that of that is, but um, and so my father had a he had a heart for those people, and so he used to go to these farms and 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 to, and, and because the 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 negative effect of the Dobstel was that obviously you get alcohol, yeah. then you're gonna be consuming it of course. And then obviously you're gonna have a problem. So there could yeah. be domestic violence. It could be whatever comes out of uh, mm, abusing alcohol. Yeah. So, uh, so there was a fair bit of um, issues on, on farms. And my, my my father, even though he had a established church in both of the west area, he um, wanted to go into the all the local farms, and 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 preach to the people over there, and you know try to liberate people's minds and stuff. So. Um, but unfortunately in 1987, um, 18th February uh, 1987, he decided to go, um, out to, um, to a nearby town in Beaufort West and, uh, um, did, the same thing that he usually do. So go out there and, um, uh, the help of people. Yeah. Yes. The interesting thing about it is that the farm that he went to, my dad did quite a lot of church services on that farm, even to the farmer as well, like, uh, you know, in terms of. Uh, funerals and weddings and those type of clergymen type of stuff so my my dad was actually known to the farmer well my farmer the farmer was known to my dad Um, anyway so uh, my dad went to uh, 18 february 1987 he went he went to this farm to to preach to a group of people and as he was preaching um, the farmer of that farm heard something going on and he was um, uh, drunk at that time came out uh, with his revolver went straight into that room where my dad was preaching, kicked the door open, and shot my dad. Ah, oh. oh, terrible. Okay. So, um, and the bullet, one bullet, um, and it went, um, it, it hit my dad, and uh, his brother, the farmer's brother, which was a uh, medical uh, professional, he, he tried his best to, uh, to help, but uh, um, unfortunately it was too late, and so my dad passed away that night. The interesting thing that came out of that event is that, um, and this was, this was big news, it was the front page news um, when, when that happened. We still have an article today, a newspaper article of that, uh, of when that happened. But the interesting thing about that is that because it was 1987, was like three years before apartheid ended, yes. um, the farmer never saw the inside of a courthouse. Wow. No justice there. No justice. Wow never saw sort of So your so family
0: point. pursued as best they could with the means that they had because yes. you mentioned that uh, your family was quite poor, mm-hmm. so you did what you could yeah. in a system that uh, was stacked against you yeah. by the minority,
2: mm-hmm. so there was no justice at all, no justice at all. and um, so mm-hmm. you didn't, go to, you didn't face trial. Didn't face trial. Um, the only, um, only, on my dad's death certificate, which my mom still had, my mom has got all the documents still. Of course. Um, it, it said that uh, um, the case is being investigated still.
0: Uh, open case.
2: Open yeah, case. Okay. And it's yeah. still open until today. So yeah. <laughs> my grandmother, my, my dad's um, mother, um, was because of her experience in apartheid and the trauma that she was carrying, She made that decision um, to my dad's brothers and sisters and said, hey, look, let's not pursue this any further. I do not know if it was because she was worried about the exposure that the family would have. Mm. She was worried Mm. that they're fighting a losing battle. Mm. Um, I do not know what the motivation around it was, but it caused quite a stir in our family uh, because there were obviously some people that wanted to pursue that justice uh, justice justice unfortunately there weren't any um in, until today yeah. wow mm. even though now the government's
0: changed and everything uh, everything has all changed there still hasn't been anyone who's picked up that case even though you know mm. how it happened who did it yes and everything no yes. one is uh, is pursuing no one has pursued Unbelievable. no one pursued that, that case incredible yeah let me just ask then was that the turning point for yourself i mean you you were you were young quite young mm. was that the turning point made you what what you are today and then were, to persuaded you to go into the the, the vocation that that you follow
2: mm. today is it is
0: was it your, what happened around your dad
2: certainly had an effect on me uh when i like i say i was only six when that happened yes but and here's the thing i- I was only six, so a six year old kid and I got a seven year old now I'm mm. looking at him he doesn't know what is going on in terms of those type of mm. big questions so uh I was this kind of a kid i I knew obviously Dad was there yesterday, yesterday, but's no longer here today, so obviously something happened. It was only when I was about ten ten eleven that's when I started asking questions. Uh, And the questions were nothing to do with justice and things like that. It was basically just, Mm -hmm. what happened? Um, uh, Why did that happen? Um, Yeah, so I think my mom, one of the things that my mom did, and my mom was a a very strong um, advocate for for forgiveness. At that time, one of the things she always said to us, to me and my sister was, um, the whole thing about if uh, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, mm. expecting mm. the other person to die, yeah so you know because you you 're hurting yourself yeah. you 're actually hurting yourself, and yeah. uh, uh, that was a powerful thing for me to know because yeah. and i didn 't know at the time because I thought well, justice should happen uh, you know but and one of the things she really was adamant about was you don 't really know your father's murderer, but you better forgive him. Because if you carry that with you, it would be a heavy burden to carry. Yes. Hard words, difficult, not easy, but I'm so happy that you actually did have that conversation with me and my sister because, you know, we, as best as possible, just as a little family, try to have move, to on, move accept, on and move accept
1: and build yeah, a new life it would for have ourselves. eaten you inside... Um, to know that justice hadn't been served, you hadn't forgiven. Do you mm. know what I mean? If yeah. you haven't, and, yeah. yeah. Mm. If you
0: didn't forgive, and that's and yeah. that's the that's what your your mum means by the poison. Yes. You're taking the poison because you're you're damaging yourself, 100%. and the other person is uh, you're yeah. not killing the other
2: person. Wow. One hundred percent. That's really powerful. Yeah.
0: Making this series and listening to so many special stories is a real honour, and we hope you feel the same way. If you do. Why not subscribe and recommend our show to your family and friends? You never know, they may like it just as much as
1: you do. We also love hearing from you. So please send us your messages telling us what you think about the show and more importantly about the conversations we have with our not so average guests. Why not tell us about your not so average story? And you never know, you might be the next person we speak to. Remember, We all have that special story to share. We
0: just need someone to stop, ask, and listen.
1: But you must share some of your dad's characteristics. So he wanted to help people. Right. And you must carry some of his genes. Yes. And so that's maybe why you got into social services and helping young kids. You
2: probably carry some of your... Your dad's genes, one hundred percent. And I didn't know that until probably I was probably probably about fifteen, sixteen years old. And it wasn't something that I pursued. But um, all of a sudden, a lot of leadership opportunities came about, and a lot of social type of uh, opportunities came about in our in our community. And I also noticed then around the time that someone needed to do something about some about, about what's going on in our community. So obviously. We were were affected quite significantly by by apartheid and by the lack of um, you know services and resources and things that didn't make us make it to our community and things like that. And so obviously I knew there were bigger issues there that I won't be able to to um, to do something about. But uh, me and a couple of my my mates, we started a lot of these social type of stuff. Like where we thought, okay, and we did little things. We did. At one time, we had a, I, I remember carrying my. My sister had a big boombox, hmm. and we used to take my sister's boombox. Um, and she obviously didn't like it, but we took it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we took it and we, we took it to the little church hall that we had. And we said all the kids, "Hey, how about you guys come in? You know, we're gonna do like a little bit of a church, like a dance." And the oh, okay. kids loved. Kids loved it, and we were only fifteen and sixteen. And uh, kids loved it and said, okay, next thing we're gonna do is we're going to show a big screen movie for you guys. And the kids came in and they loved it. And then we, we started this little organization called Chosen, Chosen Enterprise. All young people, there wasn't any older people that was involved in this. Uh, we started this thing called Chosen Enterprise. And we, 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 we recognized that um, during the um, holidays, um, the schools in the area were empty, because obviously, mm-hmm. Kids didn't want to have anything to do with schools during the holidays. Oh, yeah! But we thought this is a resource. Um, the kids are just running in the streets. They have no, nothing to do. Why don't we use this school? And we asked the principals, of course, in the school board can we uh, use this, the premises and do some programs? And so we did what, what today is known as holiday clubs. Uh, we weren't the first to start holiday clubs. All the clubs are still around in the big city. Um, but we, we had those people that were doing holiday clubs say hey come over to our because we live in a bit of a regional area come over show us what you guys are doing and they showed us they trained us we were all 16, 17 trained us showed us and we started what what is today known as, as holiday clubs and holiday clubs actually this is when I was 16, I'm 43 years old now, it's still running today in my community. Oh wow, so, from, the, from what you started. From what we started, yeah, me and, you and my, your my mates. So yeah. we, we, we with out, your sister's boombox. With my sister's boombox, so she's <laughs> part of it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't told her that, she's part of it. Yeah, so what, what, what holiday clubs, um, what it was about is we, we had a, um, any, anything from drama, to miming, to painting, to, we had McDonald's back in the days. Uh, that yeah. gave us uh, um, cool drinks to be yes. part of this, this program we had um, we had so many people in the community coming and coming around We had community women uh, o- older women that said, "Hey, we want to do something. We got all these breads from the local supermarket and they wanted to do it, and they just came and you know prepared a bread for the kids and oh, so that 's
1: great So just started from then.
2: that 's where my social uh, journey social i in my head i didn't know that there was a career uh in that um social workers never really made it to our community yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know so um i didn't know that there was a career in that type of stuff um and uh yeah but i just pursued it and uh and so when i was 17 years old i i realized i'm gonna finish school and i have no idea what i wanted to do and and this is also a really interesting story so i um um, I, uh, my mom was obviously asking me all these hard questions because I, already I worked at a, a fruit and vegetable little supermarket. Didn't enjoy that, but I knew there's something else I wanted to do in the community. Didn't know that it was a, a role like that or a job like that. And I did something quite old school. I, I picked up a phone directory. Oh, like the old, really the old, school. The, old <laughs> oh, okay. the, the old yellow yeah. and white pages. Some yeah. people have to uh, Google that um, that word, phone directory. <laughs> <Yeah, so laughs> that That's a very true, Job. There, it's right? very true. <laughs> uh, I, I I picked it up and uh, there was there was when I was about seventeen years old. I was just about to finish school, high school. Uh, I picked it up and um, I've I've r- I ran my finger around it and uh, I went to the Y section. Just youth. I wanted to know youth services, anything I had. And there was a company that I don't want to name now, but it was a company that that I saw um, was registered on there was, and I called them, and um, my mom didn't know about this, and I called I, I called it I called called them, and uh, a lady picked up with the name of Jeanette Olafi, and she was a school teacher back then, and she picked up and she, I, I said, well look, I've got no idea why I called, <laughs> I just yeah. know that I wanted to do something in the community, I had no idea what no idea what that is. I just finished high school, um, what can I do? And she said, you're lucky because in January, around January next year, um, uh, there's a bus that's going up to Johannesburg um, and they go into what they call the National Youth Leadership Development Conference, um, NYLDC. And um, how about you go to that? So I said, "Yeah, that will be that will be fantastic." I've never been out of my Cape Town. Yeah, your community. Um, okay, but that will be great. Um, how much is it? She gave me a number, and I thought that's probably not what I can afford. Yeah, I won't take that to my mom. She wouldn't be able to. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's uh, fair. But um, she put me on the bus. Um, she said, "Don't worry about paying anything. Just get on the bus. You've got a passion. It's not always that." a matriculant, which are, that's what they call grade 12s, yes. 12s in South Africa, would make that, would have that initiative to call. So we want to honor you. We want to honor you and we want to put you on that bus. So they've put me on that bus and uh, um, and when I got there to Johannes, this is a 1,900 kilometers bus trip away from where <laughs> but I'm used to yep. <laughs> um, And uh, when I got there, that was the beginning of it all. That was, that's, that's, one, that's well, when it You
0: discovered that that's what you wanted to do. Yes. And, and that led you to spend time, before you came to Australia, you worked
2: in, a, in the U.S. as well? Yes, yes I did. I, uh, so the, that conference wasn't really directly connected to my U.S. trips, but um, it really definitely started because there was about 500 people at that conference mm. from all around the world.
0: Oh, it wasn't and just a, I've
2: never met anyone from overseas Yeah, at that time. I was only 17, 18. Um, and uh, this is an interesting thing, too. I've never met a white person mm. at the age of tw- 18 years old, ever. Really? In close proximity. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yep. Okay. So close proximity, because this is, again... You only saw them on TV uh, and, the, yeah. Or when my mom worked, my mom cleaned white people's houses. Yes. That was her job. She so was a domestic yes. worker. Yes. And so for me, um, I remember I grew up in apartheid. So we, yeah, of course, we didn't, you know, so segregated. Yeah, yeah, segregated. So I never, I've never really been in close proximity of a, of a white person ever. Mm-hmm. And so imagine being in a um, in a bus, a thousand nine hundred kilometers, and all of a sudden there's a white person in my. Ah. Uh, so the thoughts that were running in my head, I, I. Still think about it today, you know. Um, remember, a white person shot my dad. Yeah, of course. Yeah, remember, yeah, I, I grew yeah. up in a part. Got that trauma. That trauma. And here I'm sitting in close proximity. I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And and then I came to this big conference by myself, with I would say 40 to 50 percent of white white folks there. hmm And here I am. Yeah. And that was a defining moment it was about 7 days long that conference but the connections i've made there um with people from around the world to be honest um i still I, i'm still connected with them today um you know defining moment absolutely yes. defining moment um so the american um question with the words that your mum had told you about yes. uh the forgiveness yes yeah it's excellent. Yes, yeah, so, beautiful. So all of that uh, was, yeah, all of that was like resonating in in, in my in my head. How do I never get around this? So how did you get to America? Did you go on a boat or what did you do? <laughs> That's
1: oh, what the kids in America well, ask me. I, I what you got to What's America? What sort of question is
0: it? <laughs> How did he get to America? It, it, it was
2: 1990, mate. He would have oh, okay. flown no. with... Uh, but you know what? South African airlines. Joe sounds like um, uh, the American kids would have asked me the exact same question. Oh, okay. oh did they? Did they? <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> All right, that amongst us. others, they also asked me if I owned a lion or a giraffe. Uh, yeah. 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 so, so one interesting question that uh, an American kid asked me once is, where did you get your clothes from? Because oh, in this? his head he thought um, I was supposed to be wearing ah. uh, loin garments. Did you, talk, oh, okay, did you yeah. tell him you were a Zulu warrior? Did you tell <laughs> him about your dad? Yeah, okay. Did you show me spear? Right. I went to... Joe uh, yeah, yes, is, take it easy. Yeah, Joe is going with a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um <laughs> so, yeah, so how did I get to America? I uh, obviously um, did not think that America was going to be... Um, part and parcel of my story because in South Africa, um, me and my, my community, we don't get those opportunities. Let me just put it this way. No one in my community that I know of has ever been overseas. Yeah. Then. Yeah, yeah. So, that I know of, they might have been. Um, <clears throat> so, especially not young people. Yeah, maybe older folks who would have gone for work. But I had a mate in in the big city in the big smoke, and he told me about this opportunity um to do summer camps and never heard of it before i I think I saw a movie about summer camps um mm. uh, and uh and uh, the first thing when he told me how much that will cost, I said there's probably no no way for me to to do that. My mom is the domestic worker, the old story that I've been telling them, but he said to me, "No, no, speak to the director of this camp." He's quite happy to get people from overseas to come out here, and he will probably try to see how he can get you there. So I've emailed him and uh, told him my story, and right away he said, hey, come over. We will we will look after you. Did they pay for everything? He paid for everything. Everything. Yeah. Can Flights. I get his number?
1: Because I want to go to America
2: um, <laughs> next month. There's a catch. I had to... <laughs> I had to work it off. <laughs> There's always a catch. Um, I, go, okay, catch <laughs> I had to work it off. So for the first yeah. few few weeks there, obviously I had to pay that money back to, the, to him, which is, which is fine. So yes, and so that was 2004, and, uh, and uh, um, so I've went through a, um, a visa organization or an organization that focus, uh, focuses on these type of summer camps and got my J1 exchange visit exchange visa, um, went over there, they gave me a bit of an envelope and said, hey, you will meet this guy at uh, New York. You will meet him at uh, JFK Airport, and he will then tell you how to get to the actual camp, which was in uh, Pennsylvania, about two hours away from New York, mm-hmm. um, Strasbourg, Pennsylvania. I got there, an African kid, never been on a plane before. <laughs> um, I landed in, at JFK uh, about 6, 7 o'clock at night, Um, the guy that I was supposed to meet there, he he said, hey, um, I'm from Brooklyn, and here's the envelope. Good luck. I got to go home. Oh, that's good. Welcome to America. Welcome to America. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Make your own way to uh, Central, Grand Central, and take it from there. The envelope will tell you exactly where to go. This is a been like a mission impossible. It was. It, uh, sounds like movie. it sounds like a movie. Sounds like it. Yeah.
0: It was. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you got, so you did this summit camps for for quite a few years. Is that right? Yes, I did. Yeah. About for four years. Yeah. yeah. But how did you get from South Africa to Brisbane? Why did you come to Brisbane, Australia? How yes. Did you,
2: Why not Sydney or? So I've 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 made a canoe out of a tree. No, I'm just joking. ah. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> so basically, um, my third year doing a summer camp, I've met uh, my now wife. So how that happened was um, she came to the same camp in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, also as an exchange visitor student uh, like me. And uh, we uh, we met over there, and um, we did the whole summer together. And we did not know that at... You know, there's going to be a serious relationship coming out of that, because oh,
1: how oh. romantic! That's how a, romantic! Yeah. So, so you basically made a connection, <laughs> and then um, she came, she oh, came to South
2: Africa, is that right? And then yes. So the lucky thing about that was 2007. Um, we met, and um, the lucky thing about that here is that Skype came out that year, Facebook came out that year, all these. Yes. Yeah, oh. platforms came out for us to be able to be in contact and um lucky we stayed in contact and uh, so she came back to um australia i went back to south africa we stayed in contact she then about a year went past she went to um uganda to visit a friend over there called me and said hey i'm planning on coming to south africa are you around of course you are uh, <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> funny thing at that time i was uh working on a um i was working on like a, a came for people with disabilities. I was, uh, there was no reception when she was calling me, but I saw her name coming through on my phone and I had to go find reception and I, I, I climbed a uh, nearby tree and, uh, <laughs> and took a, pho- a phone call, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> See, that's and that's real love. And thank God I did. Yes. That's a commitment, yes. That's that real commitment. love. You could say that at your wedding speech. We did, we did right. tell this. Uh, the same time when she came over, I took her to the same camp and I showed oh. her the tree that I was climbing. That tree, it's important. Yeah. So at first when she rung, she couldn't get through. She
0: thought you were ghosting her. She thought, this is it. It's done. Yeah. And eventually you thought, I better go climb
2: that tree because <laughs> that's the only place I'm going to get reception. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yes. And, uh, yep, so I visited her the year after um, here in Australia, loved it. And well, she met my mom and my family when she was in Africa and I visited her, uh, her family here and we got along. Obviously, between South Africa and Australia, there's a lot of commonalities. There Cricket, is. rugby. Of course. Oh, yes. Of course. Yep. We love Shane Warren over there. Oh, do <laughs> oh, you Yes. Oh, okay. I know. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> people are Very divided. Good. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, so so great that's,
0: that's why you ended up in Brisbane.
2: That's exactly how okay. I ended up in Brisbane. And, so, and you've
0: been able to pursue
2: your the
0: same similar work that, that what you were doing yes
2: yes, and so in south africa i did obviously i did a, i did a bit of i t first i studied um, i t first didn't really like that um, and then did some youth work studies and loved that uh, my youth work studies in South Africa took me everywhere uh, we we uh, landed a contract where uh, me and uh, about ten other guys were able to um, be nationally funded to go around schools and Teach life life skills at schools in um, prisons, in you name it. Where young people were, we were we were out there. Um, and so um, when I came to Australia, I had a lot of experience, skills, and, and and qualifications to get straight into the youth industry over here. I did not actually know that the youth the youth industry over here pay well. Always oh. actually like a um, you know a career. Yes. Because in South Africa, you can do your stuff, but it's mostly like. Volunteer, volunteer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, when I came here, I thought, wow, this is amazing. You can actually um, start a career over here working with young people. Anyway, um, I then uh, was presented with an opportunity to, to be working with a young, uh, at a crisis center down in the north, on the north side and uh, um, eventually became the house manager of that place and I, think, uh, I was there for about nine years. Wow, um, doing That's crisis great. housing uh, for yeah. young people between sixteen and twenty-five. That's great.
0: Yeah. Do, can I ask? Do you find that? Uh, I mean, so you've travelled extensively around around Africa, uh, in the US, and in Australia. Do you find the problems are the same everywhere you go? The uh, youth problems are the same.
2: Youth problems are quite different, um, actually, uh, between South Africa, America, and, and, and Australia. But there are similarities. Youth. Yes. Um, now more so than back in the days, I I, I find the the, um, the sense of belonging, um, the um, peer pressure, and those type of stuff quite similar. Mm. Um, however, the um, okay, let's uh, let's make an example: homelessness, mm. uh, youth homelessness in South Africa. If a young person is homeless, a family tend not to move a young uh, person out of the house. The reason is because in South Africa you don't get a lot of type of you know, um, crisis housing for young people mm-hmm. or you know, halfway houses, as, it, as it's called in, in, in America, that type of stuff. So families know that if they are kicking a young person out of their house, chances are a young person won't, won't survive on the streets. Whereas sure. in Australia, um, homelessness are defined a little bit differently. So, yeah, so the, there's some diversity. Um, also, in terms of the youth justice system, there's not a youth justice department in South Africa. So that means you don't get, um, when a young person offends, chances are that that offender might end up in the big house. Yeah, um, You know. Um, at whatever age. Whatever age. So there might be mm. remand centers, there might sure. be juvenile cent- centers, but chances are they will be um, treated exactly the same as, a, as an and adult it. offender. Oh, gee. So, and then, uh, but here in Australia, you have Youth um, Justice. The Youth Justice Department will have service centres in every area, and then the Youth Justice Department then will have also uh, community-based detention, uh, short community-based orders, such as yes. you know community service and those type of things in place and then they will have detention centers where young people will go into. And even there, they will have some sort of support, maybe not that much as they get outside, whereas in South Africa, that doesn't really happen, so that's the difference. Yeah. And because of that lack of support and services, recidivism and you know them continuing to commit offenses, um, they're more prone to do so, um, and then the severity of those offenses could be much higher than here. Uh, as well, over here, if a young person offend, they tend to go through that system and they tend to either end up in detention or end up in on a community order. Some stop offending, some keep going, but the percentage is really low is really low. But over there, also, you have your gangsterism. You get um, those type of rings as well. Yeah, so it's quite diverse in that sense. And in America, quite similar as well. Similar to South Africa. To, to, South, Africa. Oh, yeah, to yes. South Africa. Yeah, to Africa. In terms of the half of ours.
0: So, the, so, you know, uh, people are trying, but the problem is uh, there and uh, it's not going away.
2: It's not going soon, away.
0: No. no, in terms of you offending. So let me, you know, you know, I'm mindful of time and I'm mindful of our listeners, and um, we, we may have to get you back in the future to continue this story. But I wanted to talk a little bit about yourself. Other than, um, you know, what you do for the community and, and what you've done, I hear that you are a wonderful A-grade ping-pong player. <laughs> oh, hang on, sorry. Oh, oh, sorry. No, sorry. Let me just I, correct that. Not, not ping. You, correct. Sorry, what did I say wrong? should be table tennis. Thank you, Joe. I think you're well-trained yes. in that. <laughs> table tennis. You were swearing. So I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> P, the P, P word. Don't say the P word, please. <laughs> ping pong. Because <laughs> that's because the sound it makes when it hits the table. Ping, ping, pong, ping yep, pong. Yep. Is that an American terminology? That's
1: ping just. Pong? I, or is it
2: just I, I thought it was a, a, an, an Australian word. Oh, okay. but, I uh, think it's in I think it's in Amer- I think it's UK actually. It might be UK. Yeah. English. Yeah. English. yeah, it yeah it let's, blame, English. let's blame Let's yeah, Let's blame the okay. let's Because it's British. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I think in one of the monarchies' um, crowns, I don't know if it's the Queen or not. There's a ping pong table, a ping pong ball in it. Really? There's a ping pong ball. Oh, okay. No, come on. That would be some big diamond. It wouldn't be a... There, there's <laughs> a ping pong. Yes, there's the Culloden diamond. Yes. Yes. But there's a ping pong ball. Mm-hmm. And that that's homework for you guys. Well, I'm going to look that up. There's a ping pong ball. I'm going to look that up while you're talking. In okay. one of the monarchy's crowns.
1: Oh, okay, we'll have to. We'll have to. And I'm going to look at up right now, and I'm pretty sure it's fake news. Or, or, <laughs> or yeah, that's. I'm called. pretty
2: sure it's either the um, belated queen or the queen's mother. Oh, okay, so that would be interesting. So you're an A-grade
1: table tennis player. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Yes. So how did
2: how did you become an A-grade
1: tennis player? Table yes. tennis player.
2: So obviously, um, the the thing about growing up in South Africa with all the stuff that happened um there's a there's a big sense of community connection over there when people grow up they tend to either go to their local church or you know they go to a local sports um you know club or things like that so if young people don't link into those they tend to go the other way so they could commit crime or whatever can i interrupt you for a
0: second i'm going to read you this it's actually in uh, the crown, uh, coronet of Charles, Prince of Wales, which now obviously is king. Uh, in the centre of the arch is a Monde, which is actually a gold plated ping pong ball. There you are. Engraved with the Prince oh. of Wales insignia. There you go. That's you amazing. Go. Yeah. For see, it, that wasn't fake news. It, wasn't it wasn't fake news. Fake news. Well, well, it wasn't you know, fake I didn't, news. I didn't want our listeners to sort of be sitting there and not be able to sleep, you know, lose sleep. Over it. That was very important. So there you go. No, 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 That's, no, no. No. That's probably
2: the most important news yeah. ever.
1: <laughs>
0: so sorry, uh, sorry, Clinton. You know, keep telling us about your p- uh, table tennis. Um,
2: yes, um, yes, I can just see that question comes up in one of the trivia <laughs> trivia nights. <laughs> um, yes. So uh, because of that strong community links. Yes. Um, one of the things that we did when we were little or younger, um, our the reverend at the time, they, he, he wanted to keep us busy. So he heard that we like table tennis. And so he purchased a table tennis table yep. um, and uh, put it in the, in the church hall. And that's where we, we literally slept on that table.
1: Mm. So you would play. Table we played tennis. day
2: and night. And I'm not exaggerating here. We played <laughs> like Saturday morning. We'd say, bye, Mom. And we would go to play table tennis in that hall, and we would play until the sun goes down.
1: I can't believe we that.
2: we would we would pack sandwiches. <laughs> we would pack sandwiches. We were committed. Yeah, we no, we were committed. We we would pack sandwiches. We had my sister's boombox. Um, oh, yes, which yes, yes. she wondered. She never got to use that boombox. It was <laughs> just Clinton who used the boombox and his friends. We, we uh, she's, yeah, she's still not happy about that. But, but we would we, we, we take that with us. Uh, we had friends coming from different regions because it became so popular. And, um, and, and, and they, they came and they, they wanted to hang out with us because that's where table tennis happened. It was in that hall. So that was With like the, the the Wimbledon of, of tennis yes. was happening yes. in this hall. Yes. 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 and
1: were you a good player? Were you like the champion of all uh, champions? Uh, yes. Or? So
2: me and my mate, which was the <laughs> principal champion of all <laughs> champions, I'll <laughs> take that. I'll take, that. <laughs> <mark>. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, look, if I know about a ping pong uh, ball in a, in a in one of the monarchies, you know, uh, the, it is. Then I'm That's up true. There. You must yeah. be pretty good. <laughs> 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 but um look so um my my mate uh, he was a left-handed player yes and he was my principal school principal's son and he had a table tennis table as well in his garage and that my my principal my school principal his dad knew that he couldn't park his car in his garage. <laughs> the garage because the table did not go down it, it was it stayed up Wow, he, he was okay with it. Like he gave up he, in he the beginning. Up. He tried yeah. to say, "Hey, you guys," yeah. but then he gave up. And so we played day in, day out. And I played left hand and and, and, and right. right. That's what made me really good because I can play left hand and right handed. Both hands, both handed. I can ah. play both both hands.
1: Imagine if you played with two bats.
2: That's a very
0: good. <laughs> That's uh, a man. <assumption>. Well, <laughs> yeah. that Look, the, the only person I know that plays table tennis exceptionally was Forrest Gump. Now, I don't know. True. He <laughs> played it exceptionally. Now, are you true. saying that you can hit the ball like he was? I would give movie? him a
2: good crack, though. I can definitely give that him a good. go. That good? I can give him a go. Do you still play today? I play today. I play for Ipswich uh, um, Table Tennis Club. Oh, you do? Yeah, and we've got a little, tiny little club in Deeping Heights. Yeah. I shouldn't say tiny. Um, but oh, that's yeah. great. Good so, yeah, so I'm an A-grade there. we we very nice little social club. Yeah, so I play for them, and we've got a few levels. We've got... A grade, we've got B, B grade, C grade, I think, too. But you're A grade. Uh, I'm A grade, yes. Ah, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> now, now look,
0: let's move on from the table, Tennis. I heard that uh, when you um, met your wife... Mm. that uh, you read poetry, you wrote poetry for her, and yes. you spoke to her in many different languages because I hear that you're a master of many languages. Hopeless Romantic, yes. Hopeless Romantic. Yes. Tell us
2: about your poetry and
0: tell us how many languages you speak. I
2: don't speak um, um, my African languages, unfortunately, due to my father, he passed away. He could speak Kosa and Zulu, Chwana. He yes. speak about five languages. But unfortunately wow. you could not obviously pass it on to me. Yes. So um so Afrikaans is my number one language. Yes. Um and then because of Afrikaans I can read and understand Dutch and Flemish and those type of Joe West Germanic type of languages. So I can watch a complete show in Dutch and I would know exactly what's going on there.
1: That's ah. great. So, so if you read- went to Amsterdam,
2: you would understand yes and uh, i will copy it because they say that african speakers are speaking bad dutch bad
1: dutch
2: oh, okay now uh the dutch uh eat salted
0: licorice don't they
2: you uh, don't know about I that i don't I'm, know about that Too serious no, no they,
0: that's true the dutch eat salt i'm pretty sure was it was the dutch are you sure the dutch or the italians the italians <laughs> don't eat salted <laughs> licorice so <laughs> oh. you, you happen to be italian yeah, me and Joe S, and, and he's asking me if we eat salted licorice. I'm going to find out here. You better find, find out Google for our listeners. Salted, <laughs> so salted licorice wasn't something that you ate. Okay, fair enough. No so enough.
2: get on to the poetry. So you write poetry, is that is that right? I do write poetry, yes. I, I've i been writing since probably about 10 years old. I, I, I'm i hopeless romantic, I think, when it comes to that type of stuff. Uh, so
1: do you just write poetry for your wife, or you just write it for yourself? or? <sighs>
2: I write for myself. I I have the I have a bit of an attitude around my own poetry. I kind of cut myself short a lot. I don't um, write to promote or to to give it to other people, but I just write for myself. Really, yes.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah,
2: but I, I'm quite passionate about it, and uh, yeah, I haven't written in a while. But I've got a, I've got a couple of poems there. I don't know if I can pull one up actually. Oh. So is you, your poetry
0: they, like, like so like roses are red violets are blue the two average Joes are here for you <laughs> stuff like that. Well, well that was you. Well done. That, Thank you very much.
2: That, that wasn't bad at all. Thank <laughs> you very That's much. Very so you, might, you you're talking to the wrong poet. Yeah. <laughs> I love it,
0: uh, Joe S. Uh, while um, Clinton's looking that up, uh, uh, how you been? All right.
1: Yeah, very good. Thanks. Yeah, yeah? I might get one of the, uh, one of uh, Clinton's poems. Yes. And it's my wife's birthday tomorrow. Oh, it is oh. too. And, um, so, one of those romantic poems, I might I might take one of those. We won't tell anyone. No, no. And, and um, I might, um, yeah, surprise her. Surprise, surprise her with a poem. And, and then flowers. speak
0: in uh,
2: some Flemish, Flemish language. Germanic the, kind yeah, of language. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You'll be laughing. <Yeah, right>. Okay. <laughs> you might have to consult ChatGPT as well. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> good old ChatGPT. Um, so, this one, um, I hopefully this is the actual. One that I've, yeah so uh, this is probably the latest one that I've written in March um, this year okay and this one this one is a bit um, how can I say uh, talks about it's called I can still hear the drums and what it what it really is talking about is basically what we were talking about earlier about my heritage and, yes. um, and the whole connection that I have with especially with my the Zulu site I mean the there's obviously the little void in me that that's mm-hmm. saying I wish I knew more. I wish I could speak the language. I wish mm-hmm. you know. So, but uh, even though I don't have that, I have the the connection. So I so Zulu. The word Zulu means heaven. Oh, okay,
1: I didn't know. That's that.
2: something for, uh, just yeah. to know, there for listeners. It means it means it means heaven, and um, the reason why is because the Zulu people actually believe that they descended from, directly from heaven, as opposed to hell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you want to descend. I reckon we go with that. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to read us your, your
1: poem? Yes. Is it, is, it, is it more than 400 words? Or no, is it, um...
2: no less. And so, um, so it's called I Can Still Hear the Drum, So, All right. So, <clears throat> and I don't recite because I don't can't remember my own poems. Um, no, I can wrong. still hear the drums, soft, soft prayers in the distance. The smell of gunpowder, the sails of the boat and the bright shining crosses. When my eyes opened, I looked beyond my spear as, a bl- as blood slowly dripped down and sealed within the quads. Deeply buried with the rock and sand, the graves of my ancestors lay deep below. Minerals they stole were stained with their souls. On scepters and crowns, our diamonds are found, the fossils and drawings still telling a tale of huntings and gatherings, of seas they have sailed, of trees and of beasts and of rocks they have carved, the smoke they have sent to the heavenly gods. Each root of each plant, each part where we stand, tells stories of circles, fresh fish, fertile lands. When I'm quiet at night and look up to the stars, I can still hear the drums, the songs from afar. When the egg of the ostrich meant more than its feather, when felt and clay were used for each phase of the weather. When the buffalo horn showed fighting formations, and boundaries and countries were non-existent, they knew how to preserve and how to survive, to read the tides and swift winds and keep customs alive. Each grass and each leaf had purpose and plan, each shell and each hoof used by each man. At night, around the fire, the reel brings the dust. real reel is a sort of dance. The stories through dance, chants, and through songs. You came and built roads on our indigenous walkways. It's our elders that showed you about trekking and tides. They knew about rainmaking, about curing the sick, the herbs in the sharp rocks they found from a creek, made weapons and shelter. Nothing was unused. Languages taken through my in ancestry. I can still hear the drums of the Kung, Kwan, Kwe, Anikwa. Uh, Naro, ko, Klaw, Komani, Taiwa, fruited big trees, savannas, rough copies in dry karoo. I can still hear the drums after Palin Buach Hunt, speed of the springbok and the time of the skill part. I can still hear the drums, culturally slowly dying, but I can still hear the drums. Howwe 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 That's a chant. That's beautiful.
1: Wow. That was lovely.
0: You wrote all that? I wrote that, yes. I wrote in and March. The, and that's just one poem that
2: you've written that's just one poem that and, I've written and yes. you uh,
0: do you have any uh, desire to put these in a book or something
2: no i I, I have been looking into how um, my wife will always say put it in a book yeah. um, I, I, I've always looked at in ways to um, publish my poems, yeah. but I, I don't know where to do that and how to do that and I just like I say, I don't really write. For that reason? Yes, so, yeah, you write right for enough. yourself. For myself, but yes. That's
1: wonderful. If you were to Experience. publish it, I'm sure uh, you would do well. Right? Oh. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> I wish uh, I, I just, yeah. That's
0: excellent. Now, time is slipping away. No worries. So I just wanted to ask you the, the question we ask all our guests. And that is, what advice would you give to your younger self?
2: Get into the housing market. Housing market? Yes. I think it was too late now, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah, well, uh, given the economy of (laughs) today, That's a very good, yeah. So three years ago, get into the housing market three years ago. Mm -hmm. Save more money. Don't waste time with negative people and travel more. Travel more.
0: Are these things that you didn't... Well, you got a chance to travel
2: quite a bit, didn't you? Yes. um, The thing about that is I had no means to travel. I didn't have money. I was quite poor my mum was quite poor explore ways to get out there even if it means explore to save ways. money yeah. to email a director of a summer camp that's yeah.
1: very good explore ways explore ways
0: yeah. Well, you yeah. were exploring ways as well because yeah. you were you 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 were you your sister bought the boombox and you guys you took the boombox <laughs> very true so you know, that was the start mm-hmm. yeah. but no it's uh, that's very good advice yeah there's always a way isn't there there's always These. a way to to um break mm. out from the situation we're in. Yeah. Well, we hope that there is a way. That's right. So, we've come to that time, S. Once again, time has just flown by. It just seems like we started five minutes ago, yet we've been going for over an hour. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's amazing. That was an amazing story, um, Clinton. Yeah. I really enjoyed that, actually. Yeah, I'd like to say,
0: you know, Clinton, we we want to say a big thank you for, uh, for being the awesome person that you are. Your table tennis skills, I didn't say ping pong, <laughs> multilingual <laughs> talents, and poetry writing make you one of a kind. It okay. certainly is. But beyond that, your dedication to helping others and your deep spiritual connection truly make you a standout individual to, to Joe S. and myself. You truly embody resilience, empathy, and the pursuit of something greater than yourself. And we, have Been honored to have you with us sharing your story today. And
2: that's amazing, thank you. So Keep much. being
0: the fantastic soul you are, and we'll be cheering for you every step of the way. So, wow. Clinton, on behalf of Joe S. and myself, thank you for being on the Two Average thank Joes. You so, and I wish really you all the very best. Thank you, Clinton. Yeah. It's a pleasure. So, to everyone listening, thanks again until our next uh, time. See you then. See you then.